party tonight. TV party tonight. Oh, we got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews. Don't want to talk about anything else. We don't want to know. We're dedicated yes. to our favorite shows. Oh, my tickets. Everybody loves Hippotos. Scary dog. Dancing at Blurred Good evening. You are listening to a Rad Legend Broadcasting premiere podcast TV party tonight. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. And tonight, our favorite show is Dark Side of the Ring, Season 3, B, or Part 2, or <laughs> Second Half, however you want to talk about it. Joining me, continuing to document this series and its slower dive off a cliff, is uh, less hack journalism than vice, Pat Mullen. How do you do, sir? Yeah, this has really not been a graceful descent in this show. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we're really going to talk about it tonight, but uh, yeah, not. Uh, it went from, yeah, we'll get there. It's fine. Well, it's funny. Um, the first season was too short to have been that bad. And also their subject matter was so old outside of the Montreal screw job. I mean, they dealt with like Medusa, um, uh, I, not Medusa, they, the, Mula. You know, they dealt with Mula. They dealt with, uh, I can't remember if Dino Bravo was first or second. Season. No, that was second season. First was uh, like Bruiser Brody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Gina Hernandez. Right. Gina Hernandez like was this, one of ones I was thinking yeah. of. Um, Macho Man. And so it was like, all right, you know, there, there, Jimmy Snooker. Um, so there was a lot there in that first season that is that people don't really know about because people that's just, the average person doesn't d dig into the the sordid history of pro wrestling, but it's all been out there for anyone that wanted to find it. And I thought they did a fairly reasonable job of presenting those things, a very niche historical topic. Then the second season comes around, and they're like, holy crap, they're really getting into some great stuff here the Owen Hart accident, the Eddie and Benoit tragedies. Um, a lot of the stuff that we talked about in that second season that you and I were very high on. And then we got to this one, and a reoccurring theme keeps happening. And we talked about it before I started the recorder tonight, which is basically they keep picking topics they think are going to be crowd pleasers, and there's going to be a lot of stuff that they can get into. And then they find out these are really shallow topics with not a lot that, A, people didn't already know, or that there's really anything to talk about. Or on the flip side, they take a topic that could be very interesting and do a lot of exploration on, and instead we get a 40-minute, very surface level, not anything you didn't already know, look at something. Yeah, so <laughs> we didn't, <laughs> spoilers, we didn't love this. Um, I honestly think they, they could have just done one short solid season and cut half of these. That or, or if you're going to do these, it's not something that really plays well to the idea of a season of a show. Mm -hmm. This is something almost you do a special on as part of another series every so often. Yeah. You know, they did they did a they did a documentary on China. I didn't watch it because it was a documentary on China. I did. Um, yeah, that makes sense. But uh, they, it, these would, some of these would almost play better if you had that ability to do it in that vein, as opposed mm -hmm. to having to churn out X amount of episodes and find subject matter to cover. And you only get a 45 minute window for it. When some of these episodes, like we'll talk about probably could have used a little more than 40 to 45 minutes to for, actually get into yeah. the meat and bones. I, I, yeah, I'll say this and then we can move on. I like the idea of doing like one, two hour quarterly uh, documentary, you know, give me two hours solid on the steroid trial. Yeah. 
um, not 45 minutes and, you know, and you talk to some of the worst people on the subject matter. There was a couple of times I kind of looked at my wife and I was like, oh, my God, they're talking to that guy. <laughs> like, what? What's he going to say? You're correct. I hated the WWE and I did everything I could to bring him down. Like, we need all, we need you on the documentary for this to give us, a you know, a bird's eye view of what was happening. No, we don't. No, we don't. All right. Let's jump into one that I was excited for when they announced uh, the topics for season three. And this is a really classic example of I was excited because, like, what don't I already know about the plane ride from hell? I'm a longtime wrestling fan. I've read about this. This was big news when it happened. Oh, yeah. And, we, you know, like, we knew Flair sexually assaulted a stewardess. We knew Brock Lesnar and Kurt Henning wrestled into the door and people were afraid they were going to break it open, which would have been nigh impossible. But we knew that Dustin Rhodes got hammered and started singing <laughs> love songs over the PA to his ex-wife. Right. You know, and so and we knew that they had to change. We knew that the reason why this was happening because there was a long delay and there was free alcohol. We knew all of this already. So I'm like, what could they have possibly found out about the plane ride from hell that we didn't already know? And it turns out nothing. I got I got one kind of minuscule nugget out of that episode because, you know, uh, as established in other shows we've done on this network, my favorite wrestler mm-hmm. of all time is Kurt Henning, who, mm-hmm. as a result of wrestling with Brock on the plane, was fired. Right. And the conventional wisdom at the time was, well, Brock is this young, big upside guy. We can't fire him. He's too much money to make. Right. Kurt's on the downside of his career. If we have to punish somebody, we'll make him the scapegoat. We'll punish him, and that's that, because Kurt's already seen his prime come and go. The only like little nugget I got out of that is that Vince apparently was already pissed off at Kurt Henning before this because Kurt was living up to his reputation as one of the great ribbers of all time mm-hmm. and was just pulling ribs on guys in a generation that didn't understand ribbing and Vince was getting annoyed at it because right. Kurt's mind he's having fun. This is 1989 all over again. Right, but it's but it's the it's present times and it's all human resources. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa Wolf, in your 1990s running WWF. <laughs> that should be an episode. Lisa Wolf should be in a whole episode. Really should. But in all fairness to that point of view, it's not just the WWE. The WWE was joining every single company on earth in terms of you can't play practical jokes on people, you can't harass people. You know, it's a very, you know, hands off kind of that sucks. environment. It does. Um, but this ain't Mad Men, you know, things, things change and the WWE, WWE changed with them. I think for me, the failure to properly explain that to guys like Kurt, like if you want to work here, you have to understand you're now working for Microsoft. You're not working for Bill Watts. And and again, it's not Vince having these conversations directly with people. Mm -hmm. He's assigning this to guys like Jim Ross. Right. And I, I can't see Ross going to someone like Kurt Henning, who's a veteran with this standing, mm-hmm. you know, and everything. And one of the most respected guys through and through and being like, well, Kurt can't be playing these ribs anymore. You know, Vince don't want no more ribs. And, you know, he said, don't be serious. You don't stop playing these ribs. Right. Maybe Jim Ross, not the best guy for talent re- relations. Well, that's been established. And then they went <laughs> the other direction with Johnny Ace, who nobody respects in any way. And that's just been great, too. So it's how hard is it to find a person who can communicate to people and work a spreadsheet? I think they had the right <laughs> guy for a while in Carano. And then, of course, mm-hmm. he sent Mickey James her belongings in a garbage bag. <laughs> there we go. Seems fine. All right. Well, just real quick on this episode. So my wife. It, it's a fun perspective oh, to talk we, about this. But can Go we ahead. talk about how the, the main stewardess who they interview was actually a jewel thief as well? We, yes, 
Give me a minute. <laughs> all the time you want to tell what a shitty person she actually is. Didn't deserve to be molested by Ric Flair. No. But one does not, you know, just because one thing happened doesn't mean she gets to be a thief. Correct. Anyway, it's fun to watch this with my wife who knows none of this stuff. So, like, and, and that's the kind of perspective I came away with. This isn't really for fans of wrestling. This is for people who aren't fans of wrestling that like documentaries. So we keep joking on Metal Hammer of Doom of how, like, podcasts, you know, uh, basic bitches like true crime prod podcasts oh, and like boy, so when people ask like oh my god you do a podcast is it on true crime no you white whore it's not <laughs> it's it's on something else besides true crime um but what boy the white women do love like snapped and america's most wanted and all these like anything on id discovery yeah, all that shit. If they're not watching home, if they're not watching Hallmark movies or Lifetime movies where women are beaten senseless, you know, or anything British, they're watch they're watching this stuff. And point being, Dark Side of the Ring is this really niche documentary show for those people. It's really not for wrestling fans. Wrestling fans watch because wrestling fans watch everything wrestling. But I'm realizing the narratives are written for people who don't follow this stuff and don't know the details so my wife had no idea any of this happened she's like oh rick flair's a, a lecherous molester yes <laughs> not quite the rapist vince mcmahon or bill clinton are but hey you know. <laughs> hey that's never been proven about vince so anyway <laughs> um never been proven about vince <laughs> okay fair enough just just alleged multiple times throughout like twice so anyway, so it was fun to hear her perspective on a lot of these. So she thought the plane ride from hell thing was, I mean, she felt it kind of ran in circles and got a little repetitive after a while. But for the first like 15 to 20 minutes of it, she was really into this episode. Yeah. Um, anything else about, so go ahead and talk about the, the stewardess who was like the big yes. star of this thing. So not to paint her in a light, because again, being a jewel thief doesn't mean one to be subjected to sexual assault. Let's make that clear. But yeah, she was convicted of apparently stealing like eighteen thousand worth dollars worth of jewels, which I found mm -hmm. funny after the fact. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, so someone I was having a conversation with uh, this guy on Instagram, and he goes by the handle uh, a wrestling historian on Instagram, and mm -hmm. uh, he was like, he asked me, he was like, so does AEW suspend Dustin Rhodes based on this episode if all these other things are happening? And I said, I don't think so. And he goes, Why not? I said. Because he's the only one of these guys who does something stupid like that, who comes off as somewhat sympathetic mm -hmm. in the narrative of the story, because he's the only one who tells Flair to cut the shit. Yeah. And yeah, they like, again, singing the love songs to your wife, asking mm -hmm. another stewardess, oh, do you feel like getting fucked tonight? You know, like bad stuff, not good. Right. But I think that's the only reason you never saw any repercussions come to Dustin is that he was the only one who came off sympathetic in this and tried to get somebody to curb stupid behavior. Yeah. And sure. uh, but but also too, you know, it's well documented that Dustin had a substance abuse problem, has gone through treatment. Mm. Do you punish a guy in 2021 for something that happened 19 years ago that he's since sought help for? No, and I think that's the point is I don't think Ric Flair was ever punished for anything he ever did ever. You know, I think the like the <clears throat> the worst. He's never received any like direct punishment. Bad things have happened to Ric Flair. We know what happened with his family, and I'm I'm not talking about that. And I don't wish that on anyone, including Ric Flair. Yeah. But has anyone ever said, Rick, you can't molest women? <laughs> if you do, you don't get to have well, big was, gold belts. That was the argument of Jim Cornette, where Jim Cornette <laughs> talks about like Flair has been in this mode of of this persona 
mm-hmm. since like 1978. Right. And if you genuinely told him that, hey, Flair, you're up in a hotel room with four women pulling out the, the baby's arm and doing a helicopter is actually not a nice thing. They're actually offended by it. He would go, what? <laughs> well, not the women I was in the room with. Which yeah. I, I sympathize with Flair's point, but there's what you what you do with consenting adults in a private bedroom and what you do on a public plane <laughs> with non-consenting adults. But, but again, believe it or not, are not the same thing. If you've if you've never told the child, hey, don't put your hand on the stove. Right. They're gonna keep doing it and think it's okay. Yeah, as as Flair was allowed to do for God knows how long, mm-hmm. because even before this episode came out, even before this incident happened, I think mm-hmm. if you followed wrestling, everybody had heard stories of Flair. Going into a bat, an, an you know, an air, airplane bathroom, and coming out with just the robe on, right? Open, look, nothing else. Look, the 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 and the boys all love it. Ah, look, it's Flair doing a stupid thing. Ah. The the she, the she, you know, the he man, uh, women haters club. Part of me is like, who doesn't just flash their junk at people for a laugh? I mean, really, we've all done it. We, we, we we've all you know, your best friend's coming out of the bathroom, you're like, ah, you know, hey, what's that <laughs> like, on your shoulder? Ah, Turn around, ah. Ah, yeah, like guys are so gay um we we do that stuff to each other and it's funny and we laugh about it and that's that and we can delve into the psychology of why we do these things on another podcast but we do them and it and then everyone takes it in the joke that it's meant and and from that respect i i can somewhat defend rick flair but you also like you have to know when it's a you have the audience for it and when the audience is not present and he doesn't have that ability to distinguish apparently uh before we move on we spent a lot of time on this we got to get to some other ones other ones won't require this much conversation um we do have to talk about tommy dreamer what an asshole okay so again i'm not really into punishing people or canceling people for stuff they did you know a tweet found 20 odd years ago you know a thing done here you know like at some point, the statute of limitations on some of these things for canceling someone has ha- has gone away. You've 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 gone past the sell by date. When you're on camera, present day, asked about a sexual assault, and you go, everyone gets offended by everything. You're so thin skinned. My hair is offensive. Fuck you. No, <laughs> no, Tommy, <laughs> you're an idiot. How did they, how did that get, how did they not stop the camera and go, please, we, ha- we have to use this if you say it. If you say this, we have to show it. Think about what you're saying. Well, I don't think they honestly care about what's going to happen to Tommy in that instance. Let's be fair. Um, they just want to produce a watchable show that will garner them ratings and attention. Mm-hmm. As far as Tommy, like there's the part of you inside that's cheering. Yeah, say this, Tommy. Everyone needs to hear this. You're not wrong. And then it's like you work for a company that has a public face. They're gonna crucify you for this. <laughs> oh no. You, there's no good way to say people shouldn't get offended by Flair's behavior. There's no, just but, not. But here's here's where my biggest issue with this comes mm-hmm. from. Okay. There are repercussions for him saying that. Right. There are not repercussions from an article that came out, I think it was two or three years ago, where he said he seriously contemplated murdering Paul Heyman. <laughs> there, I think I have brought this up on a variety of different podcasts for one reason or another. There's a guy that wrote a book, a, a fictional book about the idea of killing President Bush. That Nothing happened to that guy from what I'm what i imagine i don't i don't remember the details anymore but i remember the conservative talk show radio host talking about that incessantly that this guy writes a book about killing george bush in theory and nothing happens to him and like the, and some liberals he was like paraded around on their shoulders 
Yeah, but but again, we we can talk about he actually had a thought and a plan to mm-hmm. murder Paul Heyman. No, nah, it's fine. He can still be an executive. He just condoned Ric Flair pulling his dick out on a plane. No, <laughs> fire him, suspend him, whatever. What Stop. a difference a year makes. All right, let's let's Tommy. I sorry, Tommy Dream is an idiot and deserved what he got. My opinion. Um, like just think about what you're saying on camera. Best episode of this season. I think far and away, maybe, maybe the only other good one was Luna Vachon. We'll get there, but this is by far and away the best episode of the season. The one, uh, the life and times of Chris Canyon. What a, what an unfortunately mentally ill, sick person. This was who clearly needed help well before his unfortunate suicide. Yeah. This is, this is a hard watch. Um, yeah. Because you have this guy who's very much suffering throughout mm-hmm. in silence and, right. Even the people closest to him, like Jim Mitchell's stuff in this episode is really, really hard to sit through at times because you see he's he's aware there's something wrong, but he doesn't know what and he just doesn't know how to help. I I really sympathize with Jim Mitchell because it's not look, I have a degree in mental mental health treatment. And so I understand it, but it's it's a very niche thing. It's not something people, people you may have mental illness throughout your family, but how many people are studying it? They know the buzzwords, they know some of the more popular diagnosis, and they obviously they see the behaviors. But you, it's not like we're all taught how to cope or how to help. No, you just and, and live with again, it. This is going. This is going on through you know a, a period twenty some odd years ago. Mm. When again, mental health stigmas were still very real at that point. You didn't talk about mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff. And right. even if you did, the generation prior to you that raised you and the generation you're from, that stuff was not talked about. That's right. You sweep it under the rug and you deal with it. Right. The persistently mentally of, ill person was Uncle Tommy. We kept him in the attic. Yeah. And, and on top of the mental illness, struggling with being a gay man in right. an industry where that that lifestyle is not only frowned upon in the backstage sense, but anytime mm-hmm. there's been any representation of even uh, the thought of homosexuality on screen, it's been vilified very heavily. Wrestling is a macho culture, something that we yeah. talked about on the actual the Cry Macho review. Wrestling is a macho culture. Homosexuality, wrongly, is seen as not macho in many different cultures, many different subcultures throughout the world. And while none of that is actually true, I have, one has nothing to do with the other. That is the perception. If you're a homosexual, you can't be macho in some of these cultures and certainly in, prof- in professional wrestling. And so where masculinity and macho-ness is um, currency for a lot of wrestlers, how do you feel if you're Chris Canyon when you're already mentally ill and you're gay and you're working in an industry that thinks you're you know, morally uh, bankrupt? Because of something you can't control, you can't control your your sexual identity. And then on top of that, again, having to do this in secret when right. you're in a very public area or public arena, I should say, mm-hmm. and you're known, you're on television every week. You 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 know people. You you may not be Hulk Hogan, but you're a known commodity because you're on television at a, every week, multiple times at a point when wrestling is at its most visible period in time. Right. And you have to hide this. You, If you get approached by a woman in a bar who's like, oh, you're on TV, you're Chris Canyon, yeah, and you're, you know, a semi-good-looking whatever kind of dude, and you can't really do anything with her because you're not interested, but you have to keep this up and whatever. And, you know, I the, the duality of what he had to do mm-hmm. compounded by mental illness 
is completely understandable why he unfortunately ended up doing what he did. And it's very sad. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think they did a good exploration of that to a certain level. I think, I, I, I think they very much vilify the WWE and the undertaker correctly for a change. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, can you, they talk talk about, about, can you talk about that a little bit more? Like, yeah. So there's there's a particular segment that happened on SmackDown, which I remember vividly because as a longtime wrestling fan, mm-hmm. Canyon shows up out of nowhere and it's Canyon. He's very recognizable. It's the only time he'd been on TV in a major role in years at that point. And what they do is they have him come out of a box or a closet, if you will, mm-hmm. and sing as Boy George, singing, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me to The Undertaker as part of an angle between The Undertaker and Paulie Heyman. Um, and the Undertaker proceeds to beat him up. Now, you beat a guy up on TV, it's whatever. There's a beat up and then there's taking liberties. And The Undertaker took liberties with Chris as he had, you know, in prior times when Chris was friends with Diamond Dallas Page. Um, and they took liber- he took liberties with both of those guys at that point in time. And he does it again here where he really beats the hell out of Chris with a chair. And there's one shot where he really just whacks him full blast in the head unprotected. And... You know, everything we know about CTE now, uh, compound that with mental illness, having to live a closeted lifestyle on top of that, being forced to parade out there and make fun of your own life in that sense, Mm -hmm. where Chris Jericho is of the belief somebody absolutely knew that Chris was gay and they decided to make fun of it. And there's people like, well, Pat Patterson's gay. He wouldn't. Pat Patterson has been there for Adrian Adonis. Pat Patterson has been there for basically every gay bashing they've done and found it hysterical. Pat Patterson once gave the order to Lanny Poffo as the genius to fag it up. So don't tell me about Pat Patterson being this bastion for homosexuality and stuff like that. Just a quick word on that. It's not like the entire gay population 100% are angels. We have self-loathing gay people. We have self-loathing black people. We have self-loathing white people. Yeah. We have people in the trans community that know they are trans and you know, and move forward with the things you need to do to try to live an effective life, but are still self-loathing and wish they were something else. Like not everybody, not everybody like approaches the, the, the vast array of LG, LGBTQ-ness. Like, I'm so glad that I'm this way and I'm like some dumb do, but some don't, some really struggle with this. And, and it's not like you don't have quarrel within that community between those members. I, I go to the great prophet uh, George Carlin. You could cut, you could kill everybody else on Earth. Leave one, you know, white blonde guy left, and he'd attack the mirror. Like, like there's just the, the idea that Pat Patterson would not be would, would do things that are would be perceived as homophobic, even though he's homosexual, is not that far out there. No, and he's done it for years, right? Um, and that that was just another part of it. And you know, they 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 kind of go above and beyond to try to paint, you know, uh, John Cena in a pretty bad light in this from his interview on Howard Stern, where he said, you know, Chris was not a great entertainer. Well, at yeah, the point- I, I struggled with that only because like you, you cannot reconcile the non ring career of Chris Canyon, where he's the model for all the video games. He's training people. He has pretty much been told he's the best technical wrestler of that particular generation. And then say, well, he couldn't cut it on TV. No, John, that's not the the issue. He he cut it on TV for years in WCW. And I know that WCW Mm. in 2000 and 2001 towards its end was not exactly highbrow television. Mm. But it's not as though he wasn't there in 1999, 98, 97. And he was doing it when he was playing a character named Mortis. So he was a Mortal Kombat. All this other stuff. And again, he's the guy you go to to have somebody get polished and look good and all that. 
there's always a place for those guys on a roster. Right. They don't have to be the top guy, but there's always a place for them. Right. And to say there wasn't one for him at a time when they had, uh, and this is, I think John's interview was like 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. They weren't exactly churning out great content at that point in time, especially right. in the ring stuff they were doing. Yeah. But then they played a clip where Flair kind of bashes Chris to his mm-hmm. face. Well, not to his face, but over the phone. They're having an actual conversation. And for someone who you think so highly of to do that on such a public forum, th- that did not help anything. No, of course not. Yeah, it, it was a well-done episode. Um, the the stuff they do with the Sinister Minister, which is so funny because like y- you never see a more stark contrast between a character and the human being than, than with him. Yeah, I was telling Melissa, I was like, like, oh, you had to see him in ECW. He was fantastic. He seems like such a nice fella. I mean, yeah, you're seeing this, you're seeing the real guy, not not the character. Talking about somebody he loved, you know, and and who he misses and is hurt by every day. And again, who took the brunt of Chris's, you know, aggression when he couldn't deal with things was Jim Mitchell. Right. And again, that's just very common because you 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 when you're in that situation, the very small circle you have of people you genuinely have affection for because they are accepting you no matter what you tend to lash out at them because mm-hmm. you want that you want it to be impactful when you do it and mean something. And that's who it's going to mean something to. So you hurt that person that loves you and, and you love to a certain extent and you just can't control why. Yep. Episode three, blood and wire Onita's FMW or the first episode of this season that was better kept as a YouTube video short. Seriously. There was nothing about this. This, this stunk. I, you you get the idea of what this was about within five minutes, and then after that, it's 40 minutes of the same shit over and over and over again. You don't really get a sense of how these matches impacted positive or negatively this organization. It's just like it ran for a while, and then he left, and then it went in the shitter, and, and then they tried to revive, and then the, they tried to revive it, and it didn't work, and it went away. All right. It, it, yeah, this stunk. I, I, when they said they were going to do an episode on FMW, I'm thinking they're going to do more of the cool stuff, like involving, like the behind the scenes stuff with the mob and stories of like Sabu fighting the Yakuza and the struggle to get him out alive and all that stuff. Right. That's extremely glossed over. And instead, we get ten minutes on the ring being on fire when Sabu and the Sheik wrestled uh, Onita and uh, Tarzan Goto, and how they had to, you know, just do whatever they could to get them out alive. And it's like this. Okay, sand. Right. It was, you know, I wasn't an FMW fan. I'm not a huge deathmatch guy. You're much more of a deathmatch guy than I am. And so I knew the reputation of Onita uh, coming in. I knew he, you know, studied Memphis and liked the concession stand brawl and that stuff and decided that everything should be that. <laughs> has has there been a more, between that and, and the hell on the cell with Foley and The Undertaker, have there been two matches that have, like, negatively affected pro wrestling that can then the tupelo concession stand brawl and the hell in the cell uh maybe will osprey versus uh ricochet <laughs> okay in a different way but yeah i get that yeah. like the i the idea that something worked once in a very specific environment and you think you can replicate it anywhere at any time and as often as you want probably is the worst thing about modern professional wrestling in terms of belief and, and structure. Hey, you know what would help write better wrestling TV, Pat? I think I do, but let's hear where you're going with it. Uh, AmazonMusic.com. No, just kidding. Grammarly. <laughs> Grammarly's AI-powered products 
help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you run on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. Uh, I, I Just because I hadn't seen a lot of the footage before, I mean, I it was... It was an okay episode, but again, I've seen better documentaries presenting the bullet points of a thing that happened in its rise and fall on YouTube. I, to me, this was no better than any number of YouTube videos I've seen documenting wrestling history. And no. when you're when you're giving even cable television time, you need to do a little better. Yeah, and uh, like once they announced this is one of the subject matters, and I was like, is it going to focus more on FMW? Is it going to be more about Onita? They really didn't they they make it the Onita show and then they start talking about FMW with no real transition. It was not well it was not well directed, it was not yeah. well paced, and there's not a lot to this episode. This I fell asleep the first time I watched this and knew I had to rewatch it because I need I needed to talk about it. I really didn't need to fall, wake up and watch it again. This stunk. No. Yeah, this was one where by the end of it I was starting to lose focus and I had it on my DVR because I I watched these live with my wife, and but I DVR them anyways in case something happens. And I and I was and I started to go back and watch. I'm like, nah, I don't care. I get it. No. Um, if I really want to see Terry Funk and McFoley's death match, I will. And that's on YouTube already. And it's really not worth watching. Sorry, guys. And I love Terry Funk. I love him like family, but no. Um. All right. Next one. Bikers, bombs, and bedlam. The Johnny Canine story. This was the one that Jim Cornette pitched them because he got tired of hearing about shit like Nick Gage and FMW and XPW. Yeah. He was like, hey, how about talking about a wrestler for a change? Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. With, with a great backstory. <laughs> Yeah, this was um, this not as good as Canyon or Luna Vachon, but ranking these it's like Canyon, Luna, this one. I think I think this and Luna are neck and neck for me um, because again, I think this is one of the ones where you have this fascinating story that most people don't know about. Um, where you have uh, you know whether you know him as Johnny Canine or Bruiser Bedlam, Ian Kudilaba, he was a, a Canadian professional wrestler who had a background in terms of organized crime, working with various biker gangs in in Canada. And it spun into a point where he was in a very prominent leadership role and bombed a police station. And why did he bomb the police station again? Uh, they were harassed by local cops. He and another uh, head of another uh, gang that mm -hmm. were at a uh, strip bar together. They they were told you can't come in here with your colors on. You know, mm -hmm. and all it turned into a whole thing. And they decided to bomb a police station, which it wasn't the original idea. It spiraled out of control after some thought of what to do. And yeah, and then. You find out he has this on again, off again wife um, that he moves across Canada to try mm. to start a new life with. And he, try, he, 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 there's aspects where you can almost get out of this life, but it's one of those things where you don't choose this life. This life chose you. And he, uh, he just never breaks free of, of his, you know, handling with uh, crime and everything. And it's, it's a shame because guy was a very good talent. Um, I remembered him as a kind of a job guy in the late eighties as Johnny Canine. Mm -hmm. um, wrestling on primetime. I remember him wrestling like Jim Duggan and some other guys like that. And then Bruiser Bedlam shows up in Smoky Mountain, which got a lot of magazine coverage. And then, uh, like Cornette talks about, he actually beat Randy Savage at a Smoky Mountain show, which gotcha. made him like... Can we just talk about how giving Randy Savage is to this industry? All everyone knows about him now is the stupid voice. You know, all, the, all those asshole comedians on the A&E biography. You know, he, he, as, you know all we, everyone knows about it is Circling Finger... Crazy voice beat his wife. That's it. That's Randy Allegedly, Savage. Not never actually proven that he beat this his wife. All anyone there. talks about anymore. Can we talk about how giving Randy Savage was? Like, never mind the fact that he was one of the best wrestlers of his time in the ring. 
one of the best minds for wrestling in the ring. But how many stories there are of Randy going, I guess I'm going to take a diamond cutter tonight, you know, yeah, or ultimate professional attitude. I, yeah, he's the best. And like, I'm not even a huge Randy Savage fan. Like, like he wasn't my favorite growing up, but you, you go back and you look at the widen, you know, the breadth of a man's career and you see how many times he was like, I'm going to put my back on the mat because it's the right thing to do for this match at this time. And you're like, it's weird in a fake industry. How many people won't do that? Like, how many people like Bret Hart, like you're the opposite of Randy Savage, Bret Hart, where wins and losses matter to him. <laughs> like, like, it's me, brother. <laughs> like it's a comp yeah no, hulk hogan like like it's real competition <laughs> what's wrong with you people anyway, yeah I, I, again ultimate professional attitude you know mm -hmm. dark side of the ring of course did an episode on him that was kind of a smear job where none of this stuff mm -hmm. was substantiated of course mm -hmm. um we already talked about that i yep. won't get into it but yeah this this is one of the more fascinating stories this is one where you could sit down with a basic bitch and she finds out he's in this biker gang bombing police stations dealing drugs and doing all these things and she would be into it My um, wife I, was. <laughs> I did not say that melissa um but but again more so the the backstory I said the you're a basic bitch got it <laughs> more of the backstory than the performer is what's really encapsulating here. And I think this is good because not a lot of people were aware of this going into it. Right. Like even, and even if you were aware of it, you certainly didn't have all the information that this gave you where they talked to the Canadian police about, you know, what exactly was going on. They talked to detectives from Ottawa mm -hmm. and federal Canadian police, which was cool where you get this kind of background on them. All right. Um, I like this episode. Like I said, third best of the season. Nothing. I didn't know who this guy was or anything about him. So it was, you know, like the, the I would say, the best episodes across three seasons they've done were to be the individual pieces on a particular wrestler. Those are always the best. The ones in the middle are usually the organization ones. They, they can run hot and cold as we're about to talk about. <laughs> and then the worst ones are like the incidents. Yeah. You know? An incident or event we'll call it. Yeah. The plane ride, the Montreal, the, you know, this steroid trial, which we're talking collision about. in Korea, collision in Korea. Like those are the dirt worst. Stop doing yeah. them. Um, all right, moving on. The many faces of Luna Vachon. Mm -hmm. Um, everything we said about Chris Canyon, but it's a girl. <laughs> like, it's so bad. Like, well, yeah, and I, I went into this very excited. I'm a huge Luna Vachon fan. Mm -hmm. Like, I, and, and they make the point today that I've always like, if she was around today, oh, yeah. Oh, could you imagine like take out either Thunder Rosa andor Britt Baker and put Luna Vachon in that lights out match they had on St. Patrick's Day. Holy moly. Yeah. How crazy that would have been. Yeah. You talk, you talk about somebody, you just brought up the attitude of Randy Savage being the ultimate mm -hmm. professional. Like that's Luna for women. Right. Like has no qualms about doing jobs or anything. Always wants to do what's best for the performance. Mm -hmm. Look at how she walked around with the sides of her head shaved. And it's not like she, like they said, it's not like she went home and all of a sudden her hair was back on. Right. You know, she destroyed her vocal cords doing this voice of this character for years um, by doing that. She uh, <laughs> she, you know, unfortunately, like there was the incident they brought up, which I had never heard that allegedly her aunt Vivian had abused her. Mm -hmm. um, and that was that was something that really caught me off guard because she'd always spoken very glowingly of her aunt Vivian. as She was her hero. Um, so that caught me very well by surprise. I don't think a lot of people knew that she was adopted and not a Vashon by blood. Mm -hmm. um i don't think many people were aware of that i don't think a lot of people were aware of her relationship with dick slater 
um, which Dick is there. There's a dark side of the ring episode on personality. Dick Slater is a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, not, not, not in a fun way either. Um, <laughs> but you know, there was that. And then she, you know, as, as this little girl, she's kind of looking for love in all the wrong places for a long time and kind of has something good going with David Gangrel Heath for a while, but that fizzles out. And a lot of it is because she, again, through mental illness, the personality she has to portray on screen, how it's perceived at the time, how she's perceived by the office mm. and how she has to conduct herself in her real life just to get some respect. She was never able to really separate the two to a certain level um, other than dealing with her son, Van, who I thought like him and being interviewed for this. Wow. That was incredible too, to hear his thoughts on how this, you know, affected him as a child. And mm. I wish they had kind of gotten more of him to be honest. Yeah, he can he comes off looking really, really good in this episode. Um, that's another one where my wife and I watched it. We felt really bad for Luna. Yeah. We just we talked uh, the thing about watching these shows, especially with my wife and I, are they are definitely good conversation starters. My wife and I, throughout the course of season three, talk a lot about mental illness and you know, and people dealing with it and they're not being resources available or people knowing that what resources are available and how people suffer because of it and how wrestling seems to retract and engender a decline in mental illness. Um, and, and, you know, it's like, yeah, sure. Wrestling has been a part of, you know, some of the best memories of both your and my life. It's also been a nightmare for people in and out of the industry. And, and it's what a, what a weird dichotomy that is. Um, all right. Well, it's time. <laughs> All right, in the interest of full disclosure, in 1999 I was living in Los Angeles. I was working for uh, I was working as a customer service person for a um for an insurance company, Kaiser Permanente, and I was still trying to find a place to get into Hollywood and or professional wrestling. I had moved out from after college, moved out from New York to Los Angeles to get into film. I spent time working as a Hollywood extra. I've been in a bunch of films and television shows and one softcore porn. So (laughs) not performing, not, well, not like that, at least. No, you're hit with the guitar. (laughs) That's a whole other thing. Let me get there. Let me tell my story. Um, No, it was one of these where like the movie itself is them shooting a a porn. So like, I'm like playing a gaffer or some shit. I don't remember. Um, But I'm I'm part of the movie crew in the softcore porn, basically. I was like an extra. Um, so yeah, I'm in real movies, real television shows. I'm on camera in some of these things. I'm not, you can actually see me in Will and Grace, for example. Anyway, um, spent time as a teacher. Then I got a job as a customer service person. And while I was in customer service, I was still trying to break into the industry, still trying to sell screenplays, still trying to get on as an actor somewhere. Um, I find the XPW in its infancy and XPW had, um, come out of, I think it's, it was like SoCal pro wrestling, which Kevin Kleinrock, Kleinrock was involved in, and a bunch of the guys that became XBW wrestlers wrestled for, I'm going to call it SoCal because I don't remember the actual name of it, SoCal Pro Wrestling in Los Angeles. Um, the the episode in and of itself is correct. Uh, I wish they had gone, I, I don't know why they didn't speak to Kevin Kleinrock, or if they did, or if they tried to, why he wouldn't talk on camera. He was a huge part of the development of XPW. Uh, the part they did focus on where Rob Black basically forms XPW once Paul Heyman wants nothing to do with him because Paul Heyman had just gotten on TNN. Uh, XP, uh, ECW had just gotten on TNN. That that part is true. And I got there just after all that happened. 
So um, I find them, I get on with their ring crew, I start training as a wrestler, and in, this is the summer of 1999. By January 2000, I'm hired on by Extreme Associates as a um, copyright, uh, co co yeah, copy editor. So I'm, I'm writing ad copy for their porn. And I worked with the guy, you know, the, the there was an editor who was also a wrestler who was White Trash Johnny Webb. Um, there were guys that worked in and out of the warehouse um, that drew salaries. They were, you know, we had basically in order to, as the documentary says, in order to get paid to, do, to wrestle, you had to work for the porn company during the day. Yes, I the stuff that they talked about where you'd be wrestling in one room and porn in the next room, that absolutely happened. That happened to me. Not the porn part. Not the porn part. <laughs> they shot... I'll tell this story. They shot a gangbang in two parts. Part one, Christy Mist had a difficult time mentally with that shot that particular day. A, I don't remember if it was her first gangbang she'd ever done, but um, that, on that particular day, she struggled with it. So they had to cut it short, and they sent her home to get better, and they scheduled the rest of the shoot for another time. Which they did, and she she completed, and was completed on, and she and she's got shoes in one hand, her outfit in her other. She's covered in. She's covered in. She's covered. She's covered. She's definitely covered, glazed as it were. And, and, and there goes Pat. And she walks past my desk and she turns to me and she called me by my nickname at the time. Um, and she says, hey, give me a hug. And this is well, I'm at my desk trying to write. <laughs> I triggered that. So anyway, um, so yeah, things like, so they literally shot her gangbang in the ring we wrestled in. They used mats. They used keys and whatnot. Um, what, what wouldn't be the first nor the last time they shot porn in that ring? Uh, they, they shot scenes in and around the office. Hey, did anyone get staff ever? Uh, I don't remember. Not the, I mean, they could have. There were there was a lot of pill popping going on, a lot of painkillers, and a lot I feel of like staff uh, would have been the least objectionable thing you could catch from that <laughs> ring. <laughs> we cleaned it anyway. Point being. Um, I did my day job. I trained in the evening, and then I got to be in some shows. I'm on a couple of episodes of XBW Television. There's a they they ran an angle where Rob loses control of the company. So in in that scene, I'm like a secretary, like out front, and I tell and I have to tell Rob to go away, and I like physically have to throw him out of the building. And then Rob gets the company back, and he gets revenge on me, and has me um, anally assaulted by one of the Westsiders. Have I told you that story? No. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's alluded to. It's alluded to. Just a large African American fellow from the West Siders, gently rubbing my shoulders as the lights dim, and you hear me crying off camera. I should have won a daytime Emmy for that. It was quite, quite good acting. Anyway, um, my tenure with the company. You know, I don't like drinking at noon. Uh... <laughs> My tenure with the company ended um, the following summer, the summer of 2001. No, the summer of 2000, sorry. The summer of 2000. I, I was gone a month, and then the heat wave incident happened. Um, the stuff with Messiah happened after that, 
and then by by 2001 2002 i don't know what had happened to the company but i was long gone i was involved in in going to grad school for social work and wrestling was a minimal part of my life so that's my xbw story i am really really sad they didn't talk to kevin kevin kleinrock um i know why they didn't talk to chris Kloss. one he's an idiot and he would have had nothing of value to offer two He's about to be involved in the XPW Rebirth. That's on Fight, I believe, November seventh. Uh, They're doing an XPW Rebirth. They sure are, Binky. I may or may not be covering that with Harry Broadhurst. Is it just the wrestling, or is it the porn too? Um, at the moment, it seems to be wrestling. Brian Cage is involved. Oh, yeah, have you not seen who's on this card? No. Now let's let's do this live. XPW Rebirth. Uh, let's see here. So Rob Black has a podcast, by the way. Have you ever heard it? No, no. Shockingly, I haven't. Oh yeah, I um, I I had it. Is it about a deli I, in Philadelphia? <laughs> it's not. Um, that would probably be more interesting to me, to be honest. He he was actually. I mean, I know how much content we drop, and he was dropping more content than I could uh, listen to at the time. So I haven't uh, I haven't gone back and listened to many episodes. But yeah, how is that was, possible? Then who's making the sandwiches? He was dropping a um a podcast almost like daily. For the, there for a little bit uh let me see if i can find all right well uh okay after 18 long years xpw and its mastermind founder rob black are back and on november 7th they print rebirth live on fight a special eight-man tournament to take place to crown the new xpw world heavyweight champion contenders are brian cage willie mack matt cross bill collier masada rhino Casey Navarro and a surprise entry who will become the first world champion since the franchise Shane Douglas fun Shane franchise stories from when I was with XPW one he was there the night that we did the uh the deathmatch tournament in the um in the palladium I believe it was in Los Angeles and by the way the whole like hitting me with the guitar incident so I pitch an idea for the deathmatch for Supreme. So Supreme's going to win the whole deathmatch tournament. By the way, rest in peace, Supreme. Very nice guy. I have nothing but nice things to say about him and his nephew who was in the, the, the episode, uh, who is uh, Dynamite, whatever the hell his name was. No. Shit. What was his name? No, I wasn't paying that much attention. <laughs> okay. Um, wasn't Dynamite D. That was another guy. Anyway. No, he was uh, in the porn. <laughs> um. So I pitched this idea of, hey, why don't like why don't we have me? I'll give give me some stupid gimmick. I'll do whatever stupid gimmick you want. But Masa but Supreme just like kills me in the first round of the tournament. Like I don't get a single bit of offense in, puts me through everything, smashes me all over the place, send you know, structures me out, and then demands that he gets real competition in this first round. What the hell was all that all about? Right. And then they send that then they send out Kronos from um, the Eliminators, uh, who was wrestling with it for us at the time. Like that'd be a cool way to have him win. Like give give him four matches as opposed to everybody else. Make him look like a badass going into this tournament. They were like, "Well, we don't think you can take all that punishment." And I'm like, "I'm offering to." What do you mean you don't? And how hard could this possibly be? Like I get beat up and you know take the glass out of me and I move on with my life. They're like, "Eh, we don't know. That's a lot. That, that's a lot to gamble on. You're, we're a little unsure about you." And I'm like, "What do I have to do to prove that I can take a beating from Supreme?" How stupid I was, you know, 20 years ago. And they were like, we'll take this un ungimmicked acoustic guitar shot from Lazy, who was playing bass in Danzig at the time, who was also managing Sabu for us and basically just being a shiftless layabout around the office. So Lazy takes the acoustic guitar that he's currently playing at the time. He's just kind of like noodling with it. 
and we're all hanging out around the ring when I'm pitching this idea. And he's just like, all right, take this here guitar shot. Wham! It doesn't break all the way because it's, no, it's not meant to. Yeah, there's ribs in there to keep this thing structurally intact. And a rod connecting the neck through the back. Right. That's all still in there. And it's, you know, and it's varnished and everything else. It's not like those guitars that Jeff Jarrett used to hit people with with our like cardboard thin. No, this was thick wood. He wails me with it over the head. It doesn't break all the way. And because it didn't get a good break, he goes, rears back and does it again. I go, I, they capture this on film. This is, and this is the part that everyone get, like, laughs about whenever I talk about this. Um, they capture this on film and then edited it into one of the, trying to not get demonetized on YouTube, but there's a porn series featuring Fellatio that, they're from, that, uh, that they put out. I'm on, a, I'm on volume number 16, and when a girl introduces herself as whatever her, the hell her name is, they quick flash to me getting hit in the head with a guitar. There's my big, wonderful claim to fame. Anyway, um, I saunter off to the bathroom to see to check and see how bad my concussion is at the time. Needless to say, I did not get to wrestle Supreme. But at the tournament, uh, something happened. Something was obstructing the camera, and I was like, "Hey, should I run out there and go get it?" And Shane's like, "Yeah, just don't just don't get in the way of the camera." And apparently, I wasn't down low enough. So I go. So this, I guess they edited it out later. I go running across the camera. To get this piece of whatever it was that was blocking it. And I come back and Shane Douglas yelled at me. He was like, did I just say, don't run in front of the camera? And I'm like, I didn't. I thought I was below it. He's like, no, oh, we got you anyway. Um, <laughs> I had to take him to the airport after that. And didn't know my way to the airport. But Rob gave me his BMW to drive. So that was fun. So there I am, driving around the mean streets of CD Los Angeles. Shane Douglas in the back seat on the way to the airport and i don't know where the hell i'm going and this is before gps i got him on i got him home i got him. this was the night before uh spring stampede i think it was oh geez yeah so had i not been able to find my way to the los angeles international airport there would have been no shane douglas at spring stampede that year i'm a hero yeah wcw 2000 needed shane douglas so anyway, you have any other questions about my tenure with uh, XPW, sir? At what point did this seem any of this seem like a good idea? For me, for the company, for the documentary, you're gonna have to narrow that down. For All me. of it. I mean, had, did you not do dumb things in your twenties? Not that dumb. Okay, you're a better man than I am. Maybe here's I'll... here's the thing with XPW. Like I remember as a kid, like you know, like, watching wrestling very heavily at this time. ECW was mm -hmm. it, and XPW started getting some play in the magazines like Pro Wrestling Illustrated and all mm -hmm. that, which I'm sure Rob was just throwing money at to get ad space we, for. We had a show called And Then There Were Four. Like, like we had to, he had decided we hadn't made it because we had Sabu and Shane Douglas. By the way, Sabu, such a piece of garbage. This guy, we have him on a show in I think Ventura, California. And I remember him kind of just. We're like, we're trying to go over the finish of his match and everything and tell him like what to do. Because he was like going to be a big featured. This big star was going to be a big featured. Who Paul had fired at this point, which is how you got him. Right. It was going to be a big part of XPW. This was what's going to make us. And at one point, we're trying to go over stuff with him. And he's just like out of it. And he turns to one of us on the ring crew. He's like, I cannot wait till this is over so I can go home and get high. He didn't use the phrase get high, though. But I'm trying to not get demonetized today on YouTube. This piece of garbage anyway go yeah. on so, so yeah they and they 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 gained a little bit of momentum once paul started letting guys go or not paying them whichever happened first mm -hmm. 
between Sabu, Shane, New Jack, John Cronus, and it tried to give them a little bit of an air of uh, like legitimacy. Right. But what they didn't do was cut ties with the porn at any point that wasn't the worst part of it we had a guy who was wrestling in the california indies who we made pogo the clown who was supposed to be based on john wayne john wayne gacy yeah i remember that the guy that i was managing or i was a mascot for however you want to look at it was wrestling in the northern california scene i think he was wrestling for czw we made him a (laughs) neo-nazi the the least of our problems that's part of it is rob saw what worked for ECW in terms mm-hmm. of it being a little more graphic, a little more adult content and et cetera, but didn't understand that you can't just go all the way with it. Right. And incorporate pornography, neo-Nazis, serial killers, and all kinds of stuff that you, if you thought ECW had a niche audience, which it did, <laughs> there's a niche audience for XPW too. It's called retards. <laughs> Not developmentally disabled people, not people with intellectual disabilities. They're not retard. They're not retard. What Pat is referring to in the modern parlance, we would call neckbeards. No, not even just neckbeards. There are neckbeards who turn their nose up at that stuff, and rightfully so. These are just people who are so off-putting as a, as an as an existence. Awkward. That that they gravitate to things like this. No, they're not awkward. They're off-putting. Their general existence is off-putting. Okay, and they gravitate towards things like ultra violence mixed with porn and serial killers and stuff, and they just shouldn't be allowed to breathe. <laughs> okay, in any case, the episode itself, I this why did I go into all that? One, people have asked me about it. Like this was as good a time as any to bring it up. Um, I'm kind of done talking about this now. Have I've, you ever eaten at Rob's Deli in Philadelphia? I have not. Um. I've barely been to Philadelphia. I've been there once or twice for like a clutch show or some other stuff. I got a, you know, I had my Philly cheesesteak. I haven't spent that much time there. My point being, and I've never been to the ECW arena. Never, never, never. Um, and all the time I've been watching wrestling. My point being, like, it was something I did in my early 20s when I was really trying to get into, you know, the film and entertainment industry. I did it. I have an experience. I have stories. And then I became a social worker. Like, I moved on. Um, I, saw, I saw what I saw in XPW and realized this world needs help. <laughs> I'm gonna co work with children. I can't deal with you. People. I'm gonna stop this from happening in the future as best I can. That was kind of where I went with it, in all honesty. Like I got like true story, like legit, like this is how I was thinking at the time. I talked to so many girls in porn who had been traumatized. Like all of them. They all had a horrible molestation, rape, sexual trauma story. Um, and then you know. And they're like, and so now I do porn, like, and there's like a missing reel of footage there. But that was always like the logic. It was like horrible stuff happened to me as a little girl, and now I exploit my body because I don't Blank, know what to do. <laughs> missing reel, and now I do porn. Um, and I was like, well, maybe I can lend my my my. Um... <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Um, so. <laughs> For those of you just listening to the audio version of this, Robert Winfrey says, oddest comic book origin story ever, but we need a Mark adaptation now. Thanks. Terrific. Um, I Mark's idea is to help. My idea is to scorch the earth. It's, well, you know, no, I legitimately went from like, I see the end game for a lot, of, not just them, but like guys like Homeless Jimmy obviously had mental health problems. Guys like White Trash Johnny Webb, who was cool. Like we hung out and we were friends there for a little bit. But, like, he had some stuff going on with him, too. And I'm like, you know, maybe if we get to them as children, we can stop them from entering 
you know, deathmatch and porn industries and maybe make the world a little bit better of a place. And so I became a social worker. Can I ask, uh, since the Messiah got involved with Lizzie Borden and maybe you have a little bit more insight on this than I most. was gone by then, but sure. Well, you were around Lizzie. Yeah. I don't know. Their how... house. Yeah. Well, I'm... okay. <laughs> I... I don't know how much, if at all, you were around the Messiah because I don't know the time. All the time. Exactly. Okay. I was, hang on, I picked his music. Not the first show. The first show they used Angel of Death because all they knew was Slayer. And Kevin Kleinrock and I used to fight over this because we both wanted to pick music for people. And we both could kind of like an indie niche uh, aesthetic for music. But I found Liebach's cover of Jesus Christ Superstar. And I've loved that track forever. And I'm like, you must use this for the Messiah. And when everyone, and everyone's like, what's a Liebach? And I'm like, you gotta hear it, shut up. Um, quit just watching porn all the time, listen to good music. And so they heard Liebach, Jesus Christ Superstar, and like, boom, that became his music. Again, one of my many claim to fame, I picked the Messiah's music. Go okay. Ahead. Did he have a bird with broken wings complex where he thought he could save Lizzie from Rob? Is that what this was? Is it, or, or No, Billy was like just an average white dude. He was, you know, I don't think he had any kind of complex of any sort other than. He didn't have a Messiah complex? No, weirdly enough. Um so fun story about the messiah he was wrestling in, in a mask when we when we got him when he came over from socal pro and uh or whatever it was called and they get they're going to give him this messiah gimmick but this is before that and we have nicole bass wrestling for us at the time um and i go to billy and i'm like you know what'd be cool really put nicole bass over like as a killer when she chokeslams you take it on your head like can you take it on can you make it look like you're taking it on your head like head down like like she just broke your head and neck. Why are you um, trying to put Nicole Bass over first of all? Because she was a big star and that was the job. Um, yeah, she was a star. She was. She was just been on like WWE television when we got her. So anyway, so I'm like, what? I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if it made it look like she just effing killed you right in the ring? And he's like, yeah, I, I know how to take that bump. I can do that. The mistake I made was not telling Nicole this was going to happen. So she, so she choke slams him. He looks like he's taking it directly on his head. She's supposed to put her foot on him and go like, "Yeah, look at me, how tough I am." And instead, because she, she thinks she hurt the guy, she like covers him. And then we're all backstage, and she's like, and her manager, who was like her suitcase pimp at the time, was like, "Well, you know, why did you make Nicole look bad? Like we didn't. We made her look awesome. Like well, it would have been nice if someone told us he was going to take the bump that way." Things you learn as in your youth when you're working for a porn wrestling company. Anyway. Um, no, Billy was a good dude, you know, just an average kid. And I think he, like a lot of people, like, you gotta remember this, these, we, these were people who did not intend to be surrounded by guys like Rob and Lizzie. They ended up there out of just pure happenstance. It was, it was like the weirdest Cinderella story you've ever heard. Uh, if Cinderella wound up in a gutter covered in a dress and lost, lost her slipper in a different manner. Indeed. And so the episode itself, they don't talk to anybody good. And it becomes entirely about Billy. You know, um, Kid Chaos, that's his name. Kid Chaos, he was good. You know, the stuff about Supreme at least made you feel like they were talking about the company. You don't get Rob. You don't get Lizzie. You don't get Christy. You don't get Lazy. Um, you barely got Sabu. You don't get Shane Douglas. We got Billy and we got the heat wave incident. Yeah, like that was it. I, and so Rob's, like, Rob's assault on uh, the government. <laughs> Which, considering how much ill will I have towards Rob and that company, made me laugh out loud when he was being prosecuted for porn by the federal government. By the way, he didn't necessarily get prosecuted for porn. He got prosecuted for shipping porn across state lines. 
that was the law that they broke. That's what it was more so than the, uh, the, the lewdness of the acts. The lewdness of the act got them the attention of John Ashcroft. The actual law they broke was you can't technically ship porn from one state to another, um, from certain states to other certain states. That's what made it a federal offense, as I understood it. <laughs> I'm going to blame Utah because I feel like they're just frowning upon porn. Robert Winfrey can probably help us out with that, but I, I, I would think- assume you can't ship it through Utah. I don't think Robert wants to help out with anything related to porn. Anyway, I've talked a lot now about my personal experience. Now that's documented. I don't. Have to and do that was more that. interesting than the goddamn episode. Well, that's what I want to end with. So your thoughts on the episode now that you've heard my tale of woe. That was more interesting than the actual episode. Hey, look, we're exploitative. Hey, look, porn. Hey, look, porn. Hey, look, exploitative wrestling. Hey, look, we're going to send guys to go fight ECW, even though we didn't send any wrestlers. We just sent ring crew guys. We got the I, shit yeah, I, look, I didn't like the ring crew guys. One guy was kind of a douchebag bully, but I didn't want him to get beat up by freaking Taz either. <laughs> you know, by the way, those guys, those ring crew guys that like, I trained with, um, who on Rob's, <laughs> on Rob's uh, orders beat me up one night in the ring during training long story um anyway those guys did not deserve to get beat up by the ecw locker room not for the kind of treatment they got at home in xbw uh, if, they were, felt if they were willing to go ahead and do that they deserved it i don't want to go into the details of it but you know. yeah well they ran across guys like uh i'm trying to remember who who it was specifically that i think did the work like the dudley boys uh <laughs> axel and balls were there um mm-hmm. Guys, not necessarily known as shooters or anything, but these were just really tough guys, and I, in some cases, really large guys. Look, should I have been abused in the ring by these guys? No, and I, but but I can, I'm big enough to forgive them for that. I, the problem there is once again is Rob being mad that I didn't take down the ring one night and went home. So anyway, um, I did not wish them ill well, and I certainly did not think they should have been beaten up. By the ECW locker room. Well, these were like work. these were like normal, you know. No, they were not kids. normal. These were average twenty-year-old kids. They no, good. That. They, they, they needed an ass kicking. Anyway, they don't spend any time on the heat wave incident in this episode, like barely any. So like they just kind of no. mention it happens and then they move on to something. It, it's else. literally it's the the narrative of is how this company got founded, being funded mm-hmm. by porn because Rob's a wrestling fan and Paul Heyman cut him off once Paul didn't need him. Right. And then, okay, we have wrestling and porn, and then now it's, oh, the Messiah and Lizzie, and Rob's crazy and going after him, and, and hey, look, Rob's antagonizing the federal government. Right. Yeah, that, it sucked. This was terrible. This was as bad an episode as there could be, uh, other than FMW, which even though this was terrible, it wasn't super boring. FMW mm-hmm. just bored me to fucking tears. Last thing, and then we'll move on um, to the last episode of this. My wife asked me, she's like, how did you feel watching that when it was over? And, you know... I'm, again, I'm 45 now. This is my 20s. I've gotten over it to a large degree. It's many, in many cases, it's just become kind of fun stories you tell at parties, you know, to make people laugh. But hey, this uh, girl glazed all over with stuff. Uh, made me. Are hunger. you kidding me? Do you know how that story kills every time I tell it, when I don't have to tell it on the internet and get a, you know, be afraid of being demonetized by YouTube. Every time I've told that story with all of the, you know, gusto I'm known for in graphic details, that story kills, Pat. I don't care what you say because it makes you uncomfortable and triggered. Doesn't mean people don't love it when I tell that story. Also, when I blew up a bathroom after eating Taco Bell, that's also another killer story. Ladies and gentlemen, Kenny Banya. <laughs> anyway, stories are fun at parties. 
um yeah she asked like how do you feel now you know you've seen this and i'm like i'm glad i'm not in any of the footage i was a little afraid of you know <laughs> and they were even on tv for a while oh you're gonna get it now <laughs> you know i don't need people to see that uh, <laughs> it's out there um it's out there on an episode of xbw tv if you can find it good for you um I wish they had talked to more of the guys that were more intrinsic to like, they, they talked to like the merch guy. They talked to, I'm uh, sorry, the merch girl. They talked to another guy who I never saw. Like Melissa's like, did you know him? I'm like, no, I have no idea who that is. You know, as, like, far as, as far as talent, they talked to Supreme's nephew, Messiah right. and uh, Alter Boy Luke, who's now right. known as Luke Hawks. But Alter Boy Luke wasn't around that much. Like again, the guy, the, the central guys, Damien Steele would have been a good person to talk to if you can find him somewhere. He was a trainer. He was kind of like their triple H at the time. Um, so he would have been a good person to talk to. Poor Dynamite D is dead. Uh, couldn't talk to him. Dwight I would Christian. guarantee you Shane Douglas did not want to talk about it. I know <laughs> probably Shane, not. I know Shane, and this is probably after you left, took a larger role in the company in terms of its production and booking. Yeah, right. I know when, the, I, I know like he was running shows at the time that Rob went away to prison. Um, why Trish Johnny Webb would have been a good person to talk to and not the, not the, the girl that was partnered up with him for a week that did porn. Um, if they could find him, if he's still around, the guy that played uh, Homeless Jimmy, he would have been great to talk to. Dude, Homeless Jimmy was the best. Um, it's a Homeless Jimmy. Hey, Rob, can I jump off this precipice? I guess. <laughs> like, poor Homeless Jimmy. Um, the, so the, Kevin Kleinrock would have been the best person to talk to to get some of the history as to how easy. Like, they act as if XPW hatched out of an egg. Like there was a yep. whole company that existed prior to that that had Abdullah the Butcher at one of their shows, by the way. All right, I'm exhale now, and let's talk about the steroid trial. I have been talking for a while, so you what a what a fucking missed opportunity this was. Go ahead. This is this is your time. This is your XPW story. So, you know, I've been a wrestling fan my entire life. Um, this steroid trial was a huge deal when it happened. Mm -hmm. Because you literally, first of all, the actual trials and hearings were taking place in Brooklyn, where I lived at the time, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so you got to, if you were, if you were lucky enough, like on certain days, if there wasn't like school or school didn't run late, you might get lucky enough to have one of your parents kind of march you down there and like catch some of these guys walking in and out in suits, like as they were. Mm -hmm. um, so I got to see Rick Rude in person, uh, who was very nice and like was cordial with everyone, which was cool because he was such a bad guy on TV and I loved him, but he was very nice to everybody who was there. Um, you didn't get to interact with him, but you got to see Ultimate Warrior in a suit and sunglasses with his hair tied back walking into the courtroom. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of this took place like in the end of June, July. So there were a lot of days where you could get down there. Um, but um, Rude actually stayed around, hung out for the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, which was pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, um, like, it, this was a big deal because, like, as a kid, you're finding out about steroids and how all these guys are taking steroids and they're illegal mm -hmm. and they're bad and they're painting this terrible narrative of all your heroes, which killed the interest of a lot of kids and families in wrestling at this point in time because this is when the business takes a real nosedive for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, the detail paid to the actual attention in this was non-existent. All they talk about is um, how steroids were initially, um, you know, bad, you know, they were bad and they had this doctor who would give the guys anything they wanted. And they talk a lot to Jerry McDivitt, which I think is awesome because 
Jerry McDivitt, if you're a wrestling fan who tries to get on the inside, Jerry McDivitt is a name you've heard for years and you know that he's Vince's personal lawyer or was his personal lawyer and the company lawyer for a long time. But they don't go into a lot of the detail in terms of his legal defenses for stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a missed opportunity. I think that what they could have done was talk to more of the people who were used as witnesses for the prosecution because you had significant testimony like that was made very public throughout. And you can actually read the transcripts of all the testimony and stuff. I've done it and it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certain instances in this trial that cause it to swing one way or another. They talked to Vince's personal secretary who served with him from 1988 to 1991, who was there when shipments of steroids were received at the office. The breakdown in terms of how the steroids were distributed, which is what mm-hmm. they really wanted to get Vince on, the crime of distributing steroids, which were illegal, when in actuality there was no real proof that he distributed these. Um, a lot of times the, the big thing that came out of this was that when he and Hulk were making No Holds Barred together in 1988, um, they are down in Atlanta together. Vince had asked Hulk about steroids for his own bodybuilding you know, pursuit and whatever. And so Hulk bought steroids, did not accept any money from Vince and gave them to him and instructed him on how to use them, et cetera. Vince would then buy some and he'd pay back Hulk for what he used. And basically, you never had anybody selling steroids to anybody else. You had guys who could procure them and pay back guys for a loan or whatever. Right. That's pretty much how it went. So there's that. There's testimony from people asking, oh, did Vince ever tell you to use this? Well, hey, if you just come testify, we're going to give you immunity regardless regardless of what you say or how you testify. The government was just so intent on getting Vince for this that they were all about um, hey, let's 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 just tell guys if they just say if they just say anything, we'll give them immunity because we're not after them. We don't care about them. Real, real quick. So I'm watching impeachment, American Crime Story, which is about Monica Lewinsky, the Bill Clinton impeachment trial and all that. And there's a scene where, you know, they're demanding immunity in writing for anything Monica testifies about. And the government's like, no, let's hear what she has to say first. If you have something incriminating about Bill Clinton, you know, where you can document about something he's already testified he didn't do and we can get him on perjury fine then you can have immunity because we're not really after you and we don't care and they're they're like but we have to know but we have to know what you're going to say first we have to have that locked before you can have immunity and and the lawyer and and her lawyers like you people are insane they're like no we just don't want to give this person immunity and then she says you know ham sandwich nothing happened so i can absolutely understand why uh they you know i i can under <laughs> i i can see why like the government messed up there by just like yeah, by, by not appropriately instructing people you know before get granting them blanket immunity yeah the, the prosecutor was a guy named sean o'shea who's the the main mm-hmm. prosecutor for for the federal government and i can understand why he didn't want to get interviewed for this for uh basically and people have probably with the shield reference about Mackie's testimony uh (laughs) right in there but um you know so sean o'shea got all these guys along with his investigator a guy named tony valenti who i I really wish they would talk to they would have tried to at least get in some way they didn't get to talk to either of them really Mm. um but they both wound up on egg on with egg on their face for this so go figure um and they they didn't talk to either of these guys but they didn't talk to judge mishler the biggest the biggest person they should have talked to and didn't was a woman named Anita Scales. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with her at all, Mark. 
I, there's a woman in that was, I think, like a secretary in Vince's office who claimed to be sexually assaulted by him, like in like graphic detail, talked about Vince picking her up and like sitting her on his lap that may or may not have had clothing on at the time. Like, I don't remember the details of the books that I read. Did you ever read Sex, Lies, and Headlocks? I did not. Um, okay, but that's, that's not Anita Scales. Okay. Um, Anita Scales was a secretary who basically was saying that she was forced to hire George Zahorian after he was known he was dealing steroids. Okay. And yeah, oh, and she became kind of one of the key witnesses for the prosecution. Um, that, you know, if you, I, again, I recommend anybody just go read this trial testimony and you'll see one, how thin the case was that they brought against Vince. Like say whatever you want to say, if you don't like the guy, whatever, it was a very thin, poorly thought out case. Yeah, And you can see, one, how very easy it was for McDivitt and his co-counsel, who uh, I forget her name, uh, Laura something or other, but uh, for, who was then hired to represent them to avoid personal conflict or pers uh, conflict of interest, I should say. Um, Laura Brevert, I think, is her name. But you could see how easy it was for them to kind of get around, like, all these stupid uh, government, uh, like, regulations and technicalities that they're trying to catch people on. And they just make them reword their sentences, basically. And, like, oh, so he never actually said, do you take steroids? No. Mm -hmm. He never actually bought steroids and told you, hey, get on these. No. He never purchased steroids and then had you rebuy them from him. No. Like, that didn't go on. <laughs> they talked to, like, uh, some of the better testimonies. They talked to Rude. And during Rude's testimony, uh, Vince said he did, told him he didn't like how he looked at that point in time. And Rude had acknowledged that he was not using anabolic steroids because he was trying to start a family with his wife. And they were worried about testosterone production being halted because of that. And uh, he was like, how, how did that, you take that to mean? And he was like, for me, I interpreted that he didn't like my physique and he wanted me to get bigger and do what I needed to do. And they were like, so what did you? And he was like, well, he didn't tell me to take steroids. <laughs> like he, he didn't like, right. and the root at the time is working for WCW, but, you know, makes it clear like, no, he didn't tell me to take steroids. But that's that the thing. Happen. That's the thing about this whole trial. Vince McMahon can walk up to the beefiest, most muscular guy and go, look at you, you're a magnificent beast. And everybody in the locker room is going, Vince will only pay attention to you if you're really muscular. Well, and I like then make the next logical leap to I should do steroids without Vince having to say a word about it. But that's like, not illegal. I like that you use the word magnificent. Because let's talk for <laughs> a second about Mr. Magnificent, Kevin Kelly, mm -hmm. a.k.a. Kevin Wackles, a.k.a. Nails. So I really wish they had spent more time on this part of the testimony, too, because really, mm -hmm. if there was one single person you can point to who brought down the government's case against Vince, it's Kevin Wackles, a.k.a. This Kevin idiot. Kelly, a.k.a. Nails. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? I said, it's this idiot. Oh, it is. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, to give you a background on his departure from the company, which they didn't, Nails goes to Vince's office because he didn't like his payoff and didn't like his treatment in the company. Mm -hmm. And literally is in the office, just him and Vince. Multiple guys have said, all of a sudden, you hear just this commotion and rumbling and tumbling and screaming. And basically what allegedly had happened is that Nails freaked out, yelled at Vince and started choking him and had to be pulled off of him by Jack Lanza and a couple other people. As he's being pulled out of the office, he starts yelling, Vince sexually assaulted me and like really goes full bore with it. The prosecution, not knowing what's going on, basically has this guy in as what they think is going to be their star witness who breaks the case open for them. He gets on the stand and he is asked at one point, do you have any animosity towards Vince McMahon? And he says no. And then the following question, he says, I hate Vince McMahon. Right. 
which all I get flashed back to is like Rocky too during the press conference. Do you have anything derogatory to say about the champion rock? Derogatory. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> and, and again, like, so he's like, oh, they complained to me about my physique. I don't know if how many of you guys remember Nails when he was wrestling. Nails wore an orange prisoner jumpsuit. Right. Nothing about him is visible except for his ugly mug and his forearms, basically. So they have this guy who's just killing any and all credibility on the stand and really just making them look worse and worse. The other guy they think of, and they spend a little more time on this in the episode of the trial, is Hulk Hogan. Because they think Hulk is going to bust Vince and not want to have his image tarnished and all this stuff. He already went on Arsenio, which they reference, um, which that can be an episode in and of itself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm not a steroid user and I'm not a steroid abuser. Um, Okay, Hulk. And uh, so... The funny part is this is all going on. One of the days Hulk Hogan testifies, he goes and beats Ric Flair for the WCW world title for his first match with them in, in that same time frame. Um, but Hulk is there, and they think Hulk is going to nail Vince against the wall. They're like, have you used steroids? Yes. And he's contradicting everything he said on Arsenio at this point because he's under oath. Uh, you know, yes, I've been using them since 19, you know, uh, 70, whatever. And they're like, okay. And uh, you used them before you worked for Vince McMahon? Yes. Did Vince McMahon encourage you to use them? No. It's like, I understand that you introduced Vince McMahon to steroids, blah, blah, blah. At this time, he goes, yeah. And they were like, for health reasons? He goes, no, for bodybuilding. <laughs> and like, it basically, it was like, uh, you know, so ever since then, how much, how many interviews do you do that you've been asked about steroids? He goes, uh, probably about 85% of my interviews at this point concentrate on that. And then like a lot of his, he's not argumentative with the prosecutors. He's mm-hmm. not, you know, anything. McDivitt doesn't really go after him because he knows Hulk is more of an ally at this point than a, a liability. And all of the testimony that they collect just basically is there to exonerate Vince right. without question. And it looks like at a certain right. point. When their major bone of contention is that he ordered people to take steroids and not a single person testifies to that, you kind of don't have a case anymore. Yeah, they really didn't. And and they never really had much of one to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the guy bought steroids when they were illegal. Because they Absolutely. believe that's what's happening. They believe this guy was telling people, if you want to be on TV, get on the gas. And, here's- and again, you can be in that locker room clearly know that's what vince is thinking but vince never says it out loud because he's not an idiot crazy narcissist personality disordered absolutely he's not dumb no. by any stretch of the imagination and so he's never going to walk into a room where anyone could at any time turn around and say he told me to say i'm telling you to take steroids but that's what the federal government thinks it's happening and now they just have to fill the donut with jelly and there's a reason that vince was targeted as opposed mm-hmm. to anywhere else vince is a self-contained organization with mm-hmm. titan he's he, he, the wwf is, has, has one figurehead it's him mm-hmm. right okay it's he's it he's who you can go after going after them would not cause nearly the shitstorm as if you were to go after the national football league right major league baseball the nba and to act like those companies didn't have steroid issues at the same time I was gonna say, wasn't that a major? Wasn't that part? Wasn't part of this the big like steroid issue in baseball that like John McCain talked about? I can't remember if it was then or with Gator because I remember like so, Bush brought it up too. Here, here's the thing: Major League Baseball is undergoing uh, the strike shortened season at this point in time, and the the when everybody really gets on the gas heavy is right after that to get attendance back into ballparks and you right. know, all that and this stuff. Is where you had the home run race with Bob, not Bob. Eventually um, a couple years later between Sosa and McGuire and yeah. Bonds going for the home run record. Bonds, and, that's yeah. it. 
Um, but to cause the uproar and shitstorm that they would have caused by trying to target those guys as opposed mm -hmm. to Vince, right? It's minuscule because right. again, everybody knows this is a show. It's not a professional competitive league. You know, there are other leagues that still exist. If Vince does get shut down, uh, this company is not necessarily dead. If Vince gets shut down, etc. But right. they wanted a high-profile steroid scapegoat because after the criminalization of steroids in 1990, largely by uh, Let's Go Brandon. Um, they needed something to substantiate those accusations that they made about steroids, why they were uh, distribute, why it's illegal to distribute them, why they're dangerous, why they shouldn't be used, etc. They needed a case to substantiate those claims that they made to criminalize it in the first place. Right. And they decided that based on obvious visuals that Vince would be the one to go after, because again, you have scantily clad men with impossible physiques out of comic books, not in a professional competitive league, not something anywhere near as popular as football, baseball, et cetera, that you could go after, prosecute, and get a win over and get this one guy who you really don't want to nail in jail. So you have this, this example, this shining example to set. And instead, they just botched it completely by not understanding what they were doing. Well, or you could have had a better case at the time against Major League Baseball or the right. NFL. It was kind of, what was it, Jimmy Hoffa? Um, was it Jimmy Hoffa's thing? The, the thing that what's his face, Geraldo did, where they went oh, into Al Capone's vault. Al, yeah, I don't know why I keep saying Jimmy Hoffa. Al Capone's vault. They something must be there. If we were to only look, we will find the skeletons we're looking for, and it'll be great TV. And then you go and you find there's nothing there, and you're like, oh, what the hell, man? Um, we gambled and lost. Same thing here. Literally the same thing. I can, I can, I know how the federal government was thinking. Like there has to be something here. If only we look. Think about again. I go back to like the Bill Clinton thing. The bill, the the the, um, the prosecution against Bill Clinton starts out as as a botched land deal, and a lot of what they talk about in the show and what they were talking about in real life, because I was like somewhat following it at the time, was if we just keep digging into Bill Clinton, we'll find something. Somebody will slip up somewhere, and then we'll get him. If you know, so theoretically, they maybe they couldn't get Vince on steroids, but something else comes out. Maybe you can prove he sexually assaulted a secretary. Maybe you can prove Jimmy Snooker murdered a woman. You know, something <laughs> and they covered it up. Now you get now you got him on conspiracy. If we only if we only dig, something will come up. Well, they didn't I, realize yeah, they were dealing with a like a like a room full of idiots. It's, <laughs> and and also too, it's who do we want to dig? Who do we right. not want to dig? Right. We right. got presented this with irrefutable evidence, but I really don't want to pursue it. We so think you, there's something here. Let's go for it. What do you think is the major flaw of this episode, this this finale episode of season three? Because I feel like I, I feel like the, the biggest problem I had it <laughs> I'll put that comment up in a second. I think the biggest problem they had with this episode was was it's not a bad primer for a very complicated subject. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work as a full-fledged documentary. There's just not enough time to dig into this. And so what you got was a hors d'oeuvre and not a full meal. A hundred percent. This is something that needed two hours. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Cracking a cult is a hard thing to do, yes. Um, <laughs> this is something that needed at least a two-hour treatment to be really yeah. fully shown and encompassed in all of what it entailed. This could have been a mini-series. I... It, it and apparently it is at some point yeah. going to be a, a miniseries in production, if I understand correctly. But it's being produced by WWE Films, so, so it'll be a fiction. Yeah, um, but it it'll be it'll be Vince McMahon hoisting John McCain over his head, Ultimate Warrior style. 
oh, wouldn't that be nice? Um, <laughs> but in the same time, you had kind of, I think I, I would estimate 80% of the talking head in this was Jerry McDivitt. Right. So to be like the, the longtime fan of me who's known of this guy for years, it's kind of fun to see the curtain pulled back and see the great and powerful Oz, who is Jerry McDivitt. Right. And it is fun to hear about him talk about just the loyalty he has to Vince, which is like, oh, wow. Okay. Vince has a human connection with somebody. Um, <laughs> but no, I, look, I think, I think people that weren't sexually assaulted by Vince or, you know, in some way, allegedly, uh, allegedly sexually assaulted by Vince or oh, in some way betrayed by Vince are loyal to him. But that's, that's Vince's magic being personality disordered is that people are drawn to him. People, people will march into hell for him because of the way his personality works and because of his own mental deficiencies. That's kind of how all of that works together. Like if you think about the women and men we know in our personal lives, the ones that have this great magnetism to them, but are also incredibly toxic people, yeah, there are people that are just that that will dedicate themselves to that person until they're the ones being run over by the truck. Yeah, and, and again, you know, we talked to we, we talked about how they had prosecution had their star witnesses lined up to mm. really go after them. We didn't really hear from anybody who was kind of on the anti uh, Vince side in this one, and except for Bevi and Blair. Yeah, which. Blair didn't really offer much in this episode either. No, um, I just mentioned you know, it because, like, because people like on Twitter after that going F, F Brian Blair, and then a bad. I know that there's a thing with him in the Sheik, which made me laugh. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, and there were there were other guys in here like where they had stuff they could have added in where uh, they. I know they talked to the Warlord at one point who had not mm -hmm. worked for the WWF at this point in time, and I think he's the one who told the story about how. Uh, Sid got out of a steroid test by having Harvey Whippleman take it for him. <laughs> and then like the jury later claimed to like dismiss that because it's hearsay. But like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure stuff like that was going on anyway. But that's that's yeah. something that could have been funny and used in in that. And uh, like e even guys who hated Vince at the time, like Tully Blanchard, who had, had nothing to do with wrestling other than a one off of WCW at this point. It's basically like, yeah, you're, you know, the steroid use in the NWA was just as bad when I was there. Just right. to give you guys a heads up, like. It's pretty close. The locker room culture was the locker room culture in and out of professional sports and professional sports entertainment was huge to a degree. It still is. If you walk into a locker room now, it's not quite as advertised because it is an illegal banned Ill illicit substance. But if you talk to guys like uh, in a whisper, dude, steroids is as much prevalent today as it was 20 years ago and 20 years before that. I worked out at the gym in New Jersey and this is suburban New Jersey. It's not a hotbed for anything. And if you went into this place and you went to the bathroom, you'd find syringes. Like, yeah, like they solved nothing. This is yet another example. Like you don't like crack and you don't like heroin, you know, you don't like, uh, you don't like meth. That's fine. You know, and if you like, we need the war on drugs to prosecute those things, but you know, steroids is yet another example. How not only did the war on drugs not stop any of those things, it didn't stop steroids either. It's as bad as today as it was then. It's just well, not like you you, you, you use know, the word I, use the word bad. Okay, mm -hmm. let's let's call it what it is. It's not necessarily bad. It's mm -hmm. more a case of it's being handled improperly because it's not allowed to be distributed by physicians who can watch it and monitor it under care. No, no, I'm talking about bad in terms of use use in terms of volume. People are still yeah. using this stuff. As yeah. the war on drugs did As not they stop should people be. from using cocaine and, and opiates, it did not stop people from using uh, 
steroids. Steroids, either. Yeah. I, and I'm not debate. I'm not getting into the debate of whether or not it should or should not be legal. Nor am I talking about. <laughs> not am I talking about the harm reduction model of you know legalizing uh, and you know regulating um, cocaine and uh, and opiate use. That's the whole other podcast for another day. My point is that we did all of this for what? What did this accomplish? And and again, this this plays into the baseball trials of two thousand. Mm-hmm. What was it? The summer of two thousand four, two thousand yeah, two thousand four. Um, where they did try to prosecute not Major League Baseball as a whole, but certain individuals to get right. to the bottom of the steroid problem in baseball. And what they did was end up killing interest in baseball for a few years for a lot of people because, you know, hey, Mark McGuire looked horrible during testimony. Rafael Palmero, I have never used steroids. One and a half months later, gets popped for steroid use. Barry Bonds is vilified to no end and is still not in the Hall of Fame, which is absurd because he is the greatest baseball player of all time if you go strictly by statistics Mm -hmm. because he is thought to have, thought to have been a user of anabolic steroids and performance-enhancing drugs. Thought to have. There are guys who they have on record failing tests who are in the Hall of Fame and not Barry. Not to Mm -hmm. go off on a separate tangent, but largely that's what this trial is about. The use and distribution of steroids, which was considered a federal crime at this point in time. And they wanted a linchpin case to defend that motion that was passed because they still can't, quite frankly. All right. right. I think we need to – we're at an hour and a half here. I think we need to come to a close. Um let's just do five minutes on season four. You know, despite the fact this thing tanked in the ratings, like this might have been like their worst season. Thank God. Um, I, I think they're going to get a season four, but if it doesn't get any better than this, um, I'm just looking at the the viewers in millions. Uh, the first two, ep- the Brian Pillman back in May 6th did a point two, almost a point three. And I love Brian Pillman, but do we need two episodes on him and not the steroid trial? Then everything does less than a two until you get to, um, Jake Roberts and Dynamite Kid, which both do point almost point two and a half. Um, and then nothing does it two again the rest of the season except for Canyon. I think the lesson here, I, and if they're worse, by the way, their worst episode yet, like literally the bottom here, as near as I can tell, their worst episode may possibly ever. Wow. <laughs> What's the one on XPW? Ha ha. <laughs> Take that, Rob. Um, anyway, here's, don't do any more incidents or events. Those seem to suck and they get your lowest ratings ever. Stick with the personality profiles. Those seem to be your best ones, both best produced and most watched, uh, based on the numbers that I just looked at. Um, so I want to see one. I know you're going to hate this. You're going to, I'm going to get the eye rolls and then you're going to take a, you're going to take a, a, a belt of, of your drink, but bear with me. I want to see one on Abdullah the Butcher. Oh, correct. <laughs> Get it done. Let's go, Googly. There it is. Ah, it's never a wrong time for an alcoholic beverage. It's brandy, actually, so it's classy. That's right. In a plastic bottle. It's a flight of wine. It's classy. All right, so I gave one. You give one. Uh, you said Abdullah. Um, hmm. Wow. Uh, is there one I want to see? Because I really want this show to die. Um, Do you really? Okay. I really so, do. Okay. So let let so just pitch a final episode. Just the last one you ever want to see him do, and then the show bursts into flames. Um, you know what I'd like to see done? I would like to see one done on Shawn Michaels. Really? 
I think the I think two parter their version of Shawn Michaels that you didn't get from any of what WWE has done or his own admissions. I think a two parter on Shawn and the rise of the Click and the redemption story is good, and it's not done in a WWE narrative, so it's probably a little more honest. Yeah, but they're not going to talk about Shawn and Vince having sex together, so who cares? <laughs> okay, so if we're not doing Shawn, since that was rapidly shut down, <laughs> come up with a better one. Uh, okay, uh, Patera and Saido. Perfect. I, I, that one I would like to see. All right, very good, Pat. Nice recovery, Shawn Michaels. Blech. I think it'd be interesting to get the non WWE version of it. If you could get anyone besides Bret Hart to, to talk and, and Jim Cornette to talk bad about Shawn Michaels, I would be surprised. I think there's a ton of guys who are willing to talk bad about Shawn Michaels, to be honest. That want to work in the WWE? I don't think so. Shane Douglas will do that episode. Yeah, Shane, uh, no one wants to hear from Shane Douglas, including his wife. So, uh, <laughs> love you, Shane. Mwah. I'm glad I got you to the airport on time. All right, folks. Uh, that is our coverage of Dark Side of the Ring Season 3B. I've enjoyed having a long discussion about my stupid year in XBW and uh, the trial and all the other little things that we talked about with this. Um, so, Pat's going to hit the gym after this. And when Pat hits the gym... No steroids for Pat. He's pure 100% American beef. What are you listening to, Pat? Uh, fortunately, I was very lucky enough to come across this free trial of Amazon Music that lets you me did. put on. I did. That lets me put on anything I want to put on through my headset, whether it's uh, if I'm lifting heavy and I want to hear some Metallica or whether I need something upbeat and I'm on the treadmill and I put on some R&B, um, you know, get that rhythm going. Anything I can, I really want to listen to is pretty much available on Amazon Music. And Mark, this free trial, it's not just for me, isn't it for everybody? That's right. If you click the link in the description of this podcast at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network, you'll get a free 30-day trial of the American of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. You can do like Pat, and you can stream a variety of things while you're up there pumping iron, or you can just listen to one album at a time. You could listen to uh, the new Cradle of Filth. That's on there. You can listen to the new Ministry, which we're going to review later on tonight, Moral Hygiene. You can listen to, or you could listen to music that doesn't suck. You could listen to the new Limp Biscuit, which still sucks. Or you could listen to music that doesn't suck. You could. You could listen to Jesse Starcher's new favorite band, the Night Flight Orchestra. There, that's all on Amazon. It's <laughs> all on Amazon Music. You could listen to Shandy by Kiss. Okay, now, now we're in business. Now, now Pat's smiling. Okay, fantastic. So click the link in our podcast, uh, get amazonmusic.com slash W2M network. You like it, you keep it, you pay the monthly fee. It's fantastic. You don't, you cancel it. No fuss, no must, no contracts, no pains in the butt. All and right. Unlike Shandy, tonight must not last us forever. You can have it for 30 days. That's right. All right. Um, tomorrow, um, we begin the march towards Canelo versus Caleb Plant for all the marbles. So we're re-airing some old, uh, some ones that Pat was on, as a matter of fact, some old Canelo fights. Uh, tomorrow, we are re-airing Canelo versus Triple G2. Mm. On Friday, we are airing um, Canelo versus Daniel Jacobs. That was on DAZN a little, little ways back. And then on Saturday, uh, before the fight happens itself, it'll be, uh, we'll be re-airing Canelo versus Kovalev. Uh, as far as new shows we're doing, like I said, tonight we're re-airing, we're, sorry, we're reviewing Ministry Moral Hygiene. Yesterday, myself and Robert Winfrey uh, reviewed Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. The YouTube video is a little messed up right now. We're still trying to fix that. Uh, Sean 
Comer did a video revisiting the first four Paranormal Activity movies, which <laughs> YouTube's having some difficulties with, but you can hear him talk about them and not just not see his clip show that he put together. Uh, on any audio version of the podcast, you can find on any podcast catcher. Speaking of which, myself, Ronnie Adams, and Robert Winfrey reviewed Last Night in Soho from Edgar Wright, and Jesse and Robert Cooper reviewed Eternals by Neil Gaiman. Um, in addition to which, we'll have re-airs of Pride, Prejudice, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. We'll have live coverage of the Canelo fight this weekend with Caleb Plant. And then Sunday, just in time for Dexter New Blood, we will have Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, Dexter Re-Air with uh, Sam Riccotti from formerly of 401 Mania and Jeremy Lambert's best friend. All right. Uh, as for the next time you'll hear from Pat, I believe Pat will be on the Mania of WrestleMania in two weeks from tomorrow. We'll be doing uh, WrestleMania 10, just focusing on that event, because we also have to talk about the steroid trial again. And then um, uh, I think that's it for you for the month of November. I think I think that is it. I think we... Uh... Yeah, I think that's. I think we're we're not recording another episode of uh, Four Kings for a little while. Uh, we're gonna do the Leonard Hearns fight. Mm -hmm. Yep, and... uh, I think we'll have two in close proximity to each other in the month of December ish. So, yes. all right, we'll uh, we'll talk we'll talk about those shows when they get a little bit closer. And yes, we talked way too much sodomy last night on the Soho review because I brought up sodomy like I, like I want to do. All right, speaking of sodomy, that's all for this show. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>